Richard, I've been very busy. I don't know, I, I kind of, I'm wincing before he even gets up here, really, because I'm wondering what's coming next. Is that right about Heather, that she's a vegetarian? That she decided to... She, she's a vegan? My God, my, my gosh, I, I meant to say my gosh, I didn't mean to swear. <laughs> it just came out wrong. It, uh, it, what? It came out wrong. Does she have no pity, those poor vegetables? I personally will not eat anything that can't run for its life. Matter of principle. Okay, it's Easter. You know, at the beginning of the week, I bought nine Easter eggs uh, because Fliss has been a bit poorly. I bought nine Easter eggs. She likes to give everybody an Easter egg. I counted them this morning, and guess what? There's still nine. I am a reformed character. You know, I, you, you, you can't maintain this kind of figure, you know, by indulging in too much chocolate. I measured my waistband the other day. It's still only 32. <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, I told Fliss that she wasn't convinced. Anyway, Easter. Thank God it's Easter. Thank God it's Easter. I used to be, well, I still am, to be perfectly honest, an Anglican priest. I was ordained in 82. And we used to do Lent big time. And I can remember, you know, doing the sort of whole Lent thing and and it was actually a, a tremendous spiritual discipline. But by the time it came to Easter Sunday, we were desperate for Easter. And I'm not sure we do that so well in the vineyard, to be perfectly honest. But there was something about that kind of Lent discipline and the, the kind of the, the, the Holy Week and just sort of focusing on that that really did do something for the, for the soul. But we did have a meditation on Friday, which I think many of you who were who were there will, uh, would say was just very, very meaningful and you know, God showed up and, uh, and that was great. But when we come to this Easter day, this Sunday, there is always a sense of relief in me. Maybe it's something in the spirit, maybe it's just my background, but there is a tremendous sense of relief and I am so thrilled to be able to stand up here. I wanted to come up every week, but they restrained me. <laughs> they said no, but haven't we had some great preachers up here? What about Sarah last week? She set the place on fire. And I thought Rich did a wonderful job the week before. So uh, we are blessed in this place. We're blessed with wonderful, gifted people who come and, and, and make the work that little bit easier. So anyway, let's get straight into the word this morning then. And uh, this little series we've entitled Choose Life. And uh, really, uh, if you don't get anything other than this opening comment. Please just take this opening comment away with you. And that's this, that it is because of Jesus and his substitutionary death upon the cross that we can choose life. We may decide not to choose Christ. We may say thank you, but no thank you. That's the choice we have. God has not made us little robots, little clones. He has given us the most precious of gifts and that for him is inviolable. He's given us the most precious of gifts and that is free choice. So we can choose him or not. But before Christ, we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our sins. I've got a little video which I've dug up again. I just love this one. It's poetic and it's visually stunning as well. So let's just run the video and then we'll get into the thing of pace. Thank you. There is a rumor 
that the world was formed in love. I happen to believe that. I happen to believe that God created all that is seen and unseen, and it is good. It is good. And that's the place we start. But unfortunately, this precious gift I've already referred to, this gift of choice was something that we abused. It's a little bit like those of you who have, who have teenage parent, uh, uh, children or, or, or older. You, you, know, you give them your best. You do your very best for them. And then at some point, you have to let them go. And it's usually about that point when they start making choices that you personally have deep reservations about. The agony of parenthood when your, your precious little girl who's now grown up to be a gorgeous young woman makes a bad choice as so you see it in a, a boyfriend and you just loosely, you toss and turn. Or a son who throws away an education by partying all the time. These are very common sort of stories and we could fill in the blanks. But there is, a, there is the absolute necessity for us to withdraw and let them make those mistakes. And the agony that God must have gone through when we chose to go our own way, when we said, you know what, thank you, but no thanks. The agony that God went through when we, we sinned that first time, when we put ourselves on the throne and said, God, thank you, would you make way, would you make way? And ever since that, time, ever since that time, it's as, if, it's as if we've let the genie out of the bottle. We thought we were doing something vaguely disrespectful, testing the waters as it were, just testing God's resolve and, and, and his authority. But in fact, what happened was we, we pulled a stopper and we let this thing into the world we call sin. I mean, just the news this week, some would say we're on the brink of a nuclear war now. And that's before we even start talking about Syria, chemical weapons. That's before we even talk about terrorists in our own nation. You know, this, this sin seems to reinvent and reinvent and reinvent. And we can't, as much as we try, as much as we try within ourselves and, and in our society, we can't stuff it back into the bottle. It is absolutely out of control and it is taking us with us. And in this thing which we call the fall, the scripture says that actually it will lead to disaster. It will lead to our downfall. It will lead to a very, very tragic end. Thank God that our God is the God he is. Thank God that our God is not a wrathful God, a vengeful God, a God who is absent. Thank God that our God chooses life and chooses life for us. And so we have in the story of creation the great narrative that Christians and in fact many other major religions have taken hold of, the Jewish faith in particular, to some degree the Islamic faith. We have the birth of hope, but it's not that we hope that we might get our act together, it's a hope that is born in the very nature of Christ himself. God has this audacious plan to rescue us and it is gonna take something entirely outside of the box. He looks at our very best efforts when we're actually firing on all six cylinders and working together and only to see it after a few years or a generation fall apart again. He comes up with this most extraordinary of plan and that's it. 
and it is this. It is what we Christians call the gospel. He decides that he will come and that he will take the judgment, the punishment, the shame, the terror, the pain that is upon himself. You know, any parent of teens and young adults will know that if you could do it for them, you would, but you simply cannot live for them. And so you bear the pain of that. You bear the pain of it. But God himself is God and can go one step further. And what he does is he steps into the midst of our pain, our sin, our terror, and takes upon himself the judgment. There has to be justice. We know it deep inside. It cannot go on like this. There has to be a reckoning. Why doesn't God do something? God has done something. He said, there must be a reckoning, there must be justice, and I will pick up the tab. I will pick up the tab. So we have this extraordinary thing we call the gospel. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 3, 8, Paul waxes lyrical and says this. If I can find it, thank you. Yes, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3. Paul says, he says, I have passed on to you as of first importance. He would say, you know, I said at the beginning of my talk, remember this, God has given us a choice. He would say, this is the thing you should take away. This is the thing you should understand and grasp. I have, re- I have received and I passed on to you a f- first importance that Christ died for our sins According to the scriptures, it was no accident, it was planned. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one another, as to one abnormally born. Paul says... This is the story, grasp this. If I am vaporized now, remember this. Christ has died for your sins. Little old you. And it wasn't a pretend death, it wasn't a theoretical death, it wasn't a war game with a great big board moving plastic pieces about. It was reality. He died upon that cross. God himself bearing the sins of the world. What a God, what a savior. But that, thank God, wasn't the end of the story. We are celebrating today what we call the resurrection. The fact that Christ came alive again. Thank God for the resurrection. You know, if it wasn't for the resurrection, well, Paul says it very well. He says, if it wasn't for the resurrection, we should be pitted above all men. What a sad little faith. What a sad little story. A bunch of slaves and servants, because that's who Christians were in those early days. A bunch of slaves and servants who put their faith in this, in this nobody. Who says a few fine words, somehow or other manages to heal a, pupil, a few people. Was that smoke and mirrors or what? And then ends up dying a criminal's death. Psst, gone. Do you know, there's such weight in Jesus' teaching that I think there would still be a little, a little Christian faith somewhere. There'd be a weird group some, somewhere in Swindon. Sorry if you're from Swindon. 
a little community of strange people holding to the Christian thing, the way. Without the resurrection, this is one tragedy upon tragedy. It's simply another example of man's inhumanity in the way that anybody who tries to put their head up above the parapet and make, bring about change actually gets shot down and crucified. How many of you, and I don't want to show of hands, have tried to do something and it's been something good, something worthy, and it's been misunderstood? And that's come as a shock. You're putting your hands up. It comes as a shock. You're doing your best, but somebody somewhere crushes you and encourages others to do so. What is it about human nature that we get jealous of people who are do-gooders? What is it? about us that we don't like. There is something deeply wrong in the, in, in the human psyche, the human soul, deep down, but Christ embraces it all. Christ embraces it all. You know, I read a shocking fact on the BBC newsfeed this week. Apparently, one quarter of Christians, this is, I don't know where they got the information from, they said 25% of Christians do not believe in the resurrection. How can you do that? If there's no resurrection, Paul says, then we are to be pitied above all men. And frankly, if there's no resurrection, I don't want to be a Christian. It's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too depressing. It's just too challenging. There's too much sacrifice, and there's too much just plain hard work. But with the resurrection, oh my gosh. The resurrection is a game changer. That's a well-used word these days. Five years' time, nobody will be using it. But at the moment, I'm terribly hip. It's a game changer. It takes a miserable little story about a Jewish carpenter, an upstart, who thought he could take on the authorities, the religious might, the Roman might. It takes that and suddenly it makes it real. And Paul's point of rehearsing this thing that is of first importance is to remind you that it wasn't just one or two people who saw him. Many people saw him in many, many situations. I said this a few weeks ago, and I said it at the Alpha. The thing that strikes me about Jesus' resurrection, and this for me is as much a proof, and other things and other aspects of it, and you can do research, there's a lot of research being done into it. Just going to have a quick cough here. The thing that strikes me is the effect that the resurrection had on his followers. They were slaves, they were nobodies, they were from the back end of beyond. But something happened that turned them into heroes. Something happened of such a profound nature that suddenly they were, they were willing to endure anything, including being thrown to lions, including being crucified upside down, including you know, being burnt at a stake. They endured anything. Something happened that convinced them that Jesus is alive. And because of that, look at this place. There are a few seats. Here we are in the 21st century. And we are hearing and telling the story of Jesus again. Something happened. It was a game changer. A game changer. And with that, with this resurrection of Christ, suddenly 
we see God for who he is. God not in disguise, God not as, as, as a human being, but God who he is, the very source of life. Not one like me or you when you share your faith, one who shares life, but one who is the source of life. God himself leaps from the grave, scares everyone witless. It just doesn't happen except it does happen. And because of that, we have a gospel, we have a faith that has real hope. God says to the world, bring it on if you must. Bring it on if you must. I can take it, I have taken it. And I forgive you. I love you. And my arms are spread wide to embrace you. That is a gospel. That's a religion that I can get excited about. I wasn't raised in a church family. So every now and then, if you want to insult me, just say to me, Chris, you're very religious. I really don't, I don't like that. I still don't like it. For me, this is not about religion. This is about faith in a person, a living person who we presume to say we have relationship with. And for that, it's meaningful. We believe we actually do have relationship with Jesus, the savior of our soul. And Paul, as he as he speaks of this wonder, as he tries to get his mind and his words around it, he comes out with little pieces of poetry. 1 Corinthians again, chapter 15, verses 54 on. He says, death has been swallowed up in victory. Death has been swallowed up in victory. My mother-in-law, bless her, died two weeks ago. And she's been dying uh, since the beginning of the year, really. And any time we thought she might go, and Fliss went up there many times. They live right up in Caithness, the very sort of top of the country. And uh, she just kept saying, and she was 89, she said, I just want to go home to Jesus. She says, I keep saying to him, is it time yet? Is it time? And she, and she says, the Lord keeps saying to me, in a minute, in a minute. How many of you have had kids going on a journey? Are we nearly there yet? Yeah, in a minute, in a minute. Won't be long now. Her excitement amidst great discomfort, I have to say, and her urgency, her sense of urgency about wanting to be with the Lord, to be with those whom she loved, and most of all, the one whom she loved, was palpable. We went up two weeks ago to celebrate her 90th birthday, but it turned out to be a funeral. It was a marked thing. The, the little Baptist chapel was absolutely full, but there were two kinds of people there. There were friends and acquaintances dressed in black, teary-eyed and red eyes, and there was us lot. We couldn't, we, we were sad. She was a matriarchal figure. I, I'd known her for 50 years. But the truth of the matter is this, we were happy for her too. And our faith meant that there was meaning, that there was something more. And Paul kind of chews on this and celebrates this. And he says, you know, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, quotes the Old Testament, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? 
the sting has been pulled. You know, bumblebees are nice little furry creatures, but most people give them a wide berth because of the sting. Take the sting away and they're just nice furry little creatures. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if Jesus can deal with the sin in our life, that which is rampant, destroying us and undermining us, suddenly we have the potential to restore relationship as it was in the garden, to use that metaphor. We can be one with God again. We can call him as Jesus encouraged us to call him Daddy, Abba, Father. We can be restored to that place. It's like the errant teenager comes back, contrite, and says, Dad, I've blown it. I'm sorry. And although you want to give them a right shellacking, ain't that the truth? Your heart just melts. Your heart just melts. And you embrace them and weep on their shoulder. It's all right, son. It's all right. I did some pretty crazy things. What crazy things did you do, Dad? Uh, uh, no, that's not the point. No, no we're, we're talking about your stuff, not my stuff. You see, when sin is dealt with, suddenly we have the possibility of restoring relationship. And with that, we can celebrate the victory of Christ. With that, we can celebrate the greatness of this Jewish carpenter who turns out to be the Son of God. Who turns out to be the Savior of the world. I'm going to finish this, and during this, perhaps the band would like to come up, but, but I'm going to finish this by reading a wonderful portion of Scripture from the book of Colossians. I and mean, do you know what? I'd love you to stand as I read this. If you've got kiddies on your knees, don't worry about it. But let's just honor God by honoring his word. Is this, Matt, is this going to come up on the screen? Well, why do, uh, you, you may not want to, but why not read this with me? This is just a wonderful, this is the new vision. I've painted the old vision of, the, of Jesus as the Jewish carpenter, you know, from back end of nowhere. This is who Christ is. This is Christ being revealed. This is, the, you know, the Lord of the dance. This is the Lord of life. This is the Lord who rises. This is who he really is. Colossians then, beginning at verse 15 in chapter 1. Read this with me. The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things are being created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel 
This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus is Lord. Again, Jesus is Lord. So choose life. Give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you.